Would you please turn with me to your study outlines? And as you turn, I'd like to uh, welcome those of you that are watching online as we continue our series on being a person of purpose. And the title of today's study is More Than Meets the Eye. It's basically been a character study of the Old Testament prophet in the Old Testament 2,800 years ago by the name of Elisha. Now, Elisha had a really close relationship with God, and that made him fearless. You see, fear inhibits our fulfilling God's purpose within our lives. Um, heard about this this past week. Uh, Baker's Restaurant, we'll put that logo up there. Uh, you guys know Baker's, and it's near here in the Los Angeles area. Do you know why you don't see Baker's all across the country? Why they only stay here in like Southern California or relatively in the LA area? Well, because Neil Baker, their founder, had a fear of flying. And because of his fear of flying, he needed to keep all of his stores close by and couldn't franchise across the nation. And that's the way it is. It hinders us in fulfilling God's purpose in our lives. Fear limits us. That's why it's the most repeated command in all the Bible. Fear not is the most repeated command in the entire Bible. Don't be afraid. Fear not. 366 times it's mentioned, which is so cool because it's one for every day of the year plus one for leap year. Uh, One for every day, 366 times the Bible says, fear not. Now, today we're going to look at the reasons you don't have to fear evil. And we just are coming off of a couple weeks ago, the terrorist attack in, in Boston. And the purpose of terrorism is to cause us to be fearful and to limit our activity because of fear. I mean, that's the purpose of terrorism to limit us in our purpose as a nation, to limit us as people in doing what we want to do because of fear. That's the purpose behind terrorism. And so this is highly appropriate. I mean, I've known that we're going to talk on this for a couple months now, that we talk about the reasons you don't have to fear evil. Number one, God knows every private word that your enemy speaks. Uh, Verse eight. Now the king of Aram, that is today the nation of Syria, was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God, that's Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel. Beware of passing that place because the Arameans, the Syrians, are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places." Any of you that served in military intelligence uh, uh, in the armed forces or currently serving know how valuable it is. Well, this is the ultimate form of military intelligence. Uh, Psalm 139, David says, before a word is on my tongue, you know, Lord, you know it completely. Reminds me of a story I heard this past week about uh, this married couple and they had over uh, the, the wife's brother and her new girlfriend, his new girlfriend. And so they sit in the living room, they talk for a few minutes, and then the wife says to her husband, let's go upstairs to the baby's room and check on the baby. Well, the reason she did that is once they got up in the baby's room, she just wanted a chance to rip on this new girlfriend. Oh, man, she's just lousy, and my brother has such bad choice in women, and she's just ripping away. And then they go back into the living room. They notice it's kind of icy in there. The relational temperature has dropped about 20 or 30 degrees until they, well, what happened here? And all of a sudden, they hear a cooing in the background, realize the baby monitor was on up in their room. And so this couple heard every word that they said. And, and so that's what the Bible's saying here. God knows every word that we say, in this case, in the king's bedroom. It says in verse 11, this enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? We've got a traitor in our inner circle. None of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers, 
But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Number one, God knows every private word that your enemy speaks. Number two, God has an invisible army ready to fight on your behalf. God has an invisible army ready to fight on your behalf. Now, throughout this study, I want to give you some examples of when something is more than meets the eye. When, when more is going on, there are two types of people. Those that say there's more than meets the eye and those that say what you see is what you get. Those that say, you know what? We just, we're a random group of cells experiencing random chance. What you see is what you get. If you can't show it to me, I don't believe it exists. And then there are the more than meets the eye kind of people. And so the question to ask is, which are you? Which one of those are you? Verse 13, go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. Now, uh, Dothan is a little uh, two-bit town, a podunk town. You'll see it there. It's about 60 miles north of Jerusalem. You can see how it looks today after archaeological excavations. Uh, Dr. Joseph Free, who's uh, from my alma mater, Wheaton College, he's the one that excavated it, demonstrated that the Bible is absolutely accurate in everything it talks about within the story through his excavations of what is today the little town of Dothan. It's surrounded by a valley, so you can see how what's about to happen could happen. It was a high, on a hill, little village on a hill, a little town on a hill, surrounded by an open plain. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Now, there's probably nothing more terrifying than that. You imagine the German soldiers when they wake up on the morning of D-Day invasion in Normandy, and all of a sudden, overnight, here, the sea is filled with allied ships. Can you imagine the Trojans when they woke up and saw off the shore from the city of Troy, they see the Greek ships filling the ocean about to mobilize and attack them. What shall we do? Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Now, here's the reason why God wanted you to be here this morning. You're not here by accident. You're here by divine appointment. He invited you here because there's something in your life where you feel surrounded. There's some area of your life where you feel just like this servant and you're just saying, what am I gonna do about this? Oh no, what shall we do? You got that doctor's diagnosis. You got that pink slip and you lost your job. You got that bill that you don't know how it's gonna be paid. You got that problem with one of your children or with one of your grandchildren and you feel surrounded in your life, at least in one area of your life and you say, oh no, what shall we do? Here's what God invited you here today to say to you. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. This is what he invited you to say. Don't be afraid. There's more with you than against you. If we could see the angels in this room right now, we would be flabbergasted. There are more with us than against us. When you're all by yourself in the middle of the night and the tears come because you're just so afraid in that one area and you don't realize you, you are not alone. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for me. I believe that God is orchestrating everything today between Steve Amerson being here and the concert and the baptisms and, and even the fair trade bazaar and all this stuff. He's orchestrating all of it to open our eyes 
Um, maybe it's to need in the world, like through the fair trade bazaar. Or, or maybe he wants to open our eyes to his power. Or maybe he wants to open our eyes to some step we need to take, like baptism, or to commit our lives to Christ. Uh, that's what I'm just praying for. Open his eyes, Lord. Open her eyes, Lord, so that he or she may see, so they can see it's not just what you see is what you get, but there's more than meets the eye. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Hebrews 1 verse 14, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Have you received Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Well, then you are one of those who will inherit salvation. And so God has sent angels, ministering spirits, to strengthen and encourage you. Uh, David writes in Psalm 34, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Uh, John G. Patton was a missionary in the late 1800s to the Pacific Islands near Australia. And on this one particular island, his first night there, it was a cannibalistic island. That is, the people there killed strangers and ate them. And so he and his wife look out, and their hut is surrounded by the men of the island as the sun set that night. And so he and his wife spent the night on their knees in prayer, begging God for protection. They wake up the next morning. All the men are gone. Well, after a period of time, all the people of that island came to Christ and became followers of Christ. And so eventually, John Patton, he asked one of the men, he says, hey, why did, by the way, why didn't you attack us that first night that we were in that hut on the island? Why didn't you attack? He said, oh, you had way too many guards. He says, what are you talking about? He says, oh, yeah, hundreds of men in shining clothes with drawn swords. We weren't going to mess with you, so we just left. And he said, I didn't have anybody with me. Well, he thought back to this verse, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Let me ask you a question. Are you a what you see is what you get kind of person or are you a more than meets the eye kind of person? Do you believe that we're just random cells experiencing random chance or do you believe that there's an unseen God, one who is invisible, the Bible calls him, who who providentially, as you grow in your relationship with him, will guide your life? In a mother's womb were two babies. One asked the other, do you believe in life after delivery? The other replies, why, of course, there has to be something after delivery. Maybe we're here to prepare ourselves for what we will be later. Nonsense, says the other. There is no life after delivery. What would that life be? I don't know, but there will be more light than here. Maybe we'll walk with our legs and eat with our mouths. The other said, that's absurd. Walking is impossible. And eat with our mouths, that's ridiculous. The umbilical cord supplies nutrition. Life after delivery is to be excluded. The umbilical cord is too short. I think there's something, and maybe it's different than it is here, the other replies. No one has ever come back from there. And all the mothers said, praise God. (laughs) Delivery is the end of life. And in the after delivery, it is nothing but darkness and anxiety, and it takes us nowhere. Well, I don't know, says the other, but certainly we will see mother, and she will take care of us. Mother? You believe in mother? Where is she now? Well, she's all around us. It's in her that we live. Without her, there would not be this world. I don't see her, so it's only logical that she doesn't exist. To which the other replied, sometimes when you're in silence, you can hear her. You can perceive her. I believe there is a reality after delivery, and we are here to prepare ourselves for that reality. 
Which person are you? Are you a person that what you see is what you get or somebody that believes there's more than meets the eye? Next page of your study outline, we continue with uh, verse 18. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike the army with blindness. Strike the army with blindness. Now, in the original Hebrew, this can mean complete blindness, but it can also mean confused vision. And I believe that's what's going on here. It's a spirit of confusion. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I'll lead you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to Samaria. Now back to our map. It's only about 10 miles from Dothan. There's Dothan and only about 10 miles away is Samaria, but it's the most fortified capital city of the nation of Israel. Hebrews 13 verse 6 says, So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? David says in Psalm 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. I forgot the whole point of that, which is point three. Even the strongest enemy can't can't outsmart God. Even the strongest enemy can't outsmart God. Number four, overcome evil with good by practicing counterintuitive love. Uh, This is the Jesus style. Whenever you love somebody, when it's not expected, that's counterintuitive love. Whenever you show grace and mercy to someone, when it's not expected, that's grace, that's mercy, that's the kindness of Jesus. That's the Jesus style, counterintuitive love. Now, we think that the Old Testament is all about law and the New Testament all about grace. Well, the New Testament still has plenty of law and guidelines for daily living, uh, along with the major theme of grace. But in the Old Testament, even though the emphasis is on the law, there's a lot of grace. And here's a foreshadowing of the New Testament here. Verse 21, when the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha. See, now all the enemy, you've got your enemy right where you want him, surrounded by your army, all of a sudden, they wake up, they're, they're caught. They're in the middle, surrounded by the army of Israel. And so he asks the logical question, the, the thing that makes sense. Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? That's what people expect. They offend you. Shall I kill them, my father? They cut you off in traffic on the 10 freeway. Shall I kill them, my father? They hurt you in some way. Shall I kill them, my father? Uh, somebody does you wrong. Shall I kill them? Well, that's what's expected because that's the human response. Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those you have captured with your own sword and bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. What? What? So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. See, Elisha is is a picture of Jesus. He's what we call Christ figure. He's a foreshadowing of Christ. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers because they'll be called the sons and daughters of God. That's the Jesus style. Elisha, his name means my God saves. That's what the name in Hebrew, Elisha, means. My God saves. The name of Jesus means the Lord saves. So my God saves. Elisha is a foreshadowing of the Lord saves of Jesus. Romans 12, written by Paul, one of the followers of Christ, 
said, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, here comes counterintuitive love, the Jesus style. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, Bible scholars debate about what that means. But, but in this context of our story, I believe part of it means that they're so ashamed that you respond with love when that's not what they expected, that that extension of grace, there's a, that, that, that great verse, it's your kindness that leads us to repentance, O Lord. It's the kindness, it's the mercy of God expressed through his followers of Jesus Christ that heaps burning coals on his head and, 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 they, and they, they repent of that. Um, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Blessed are the peacemakers because they'll be called the sons, daughters, the followers of God. There's more than meets the eye. Three more points that apply to our personal lives and apply to us as a nation in the aftermath of the Boston bombing. Number five, if God allows evil to strike you, he intends to use it for good. Back to Dothan again. Here's how it looks today. Thousand, Dothan's only mentioned twice in the Bible. The entire Bible, it's only mentioned twice. This time in the story with Elisha and a thousand years earlier when a 17-year-old teenager named Joseph comes there trying to find his brothers. He finds them. They throw them into slavery, sell them to slavery to the Egyptians through a heartbreaking set of circumstances where he goes through a lot of pain and suffering. He ends up the second most powerful man in the world. His brothers expect him to take revenge on them because isn't that what's typical? That's what our intuition tells us to do. But counterintuitive love and mercy and grace flow through Joseph to his brothers. And he says in verse 20 of Genesis 50, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I was reading J. Vernon McGee, his commentary on this section this past week, and he said of the two miracles, he believes the miracle of Joseph is the greater of the two. Now, Elisha got the immediate miracle. Got a problem? Boom. God took care of it. How many of you prefer when God does that? I, like the, I, I, I personally like the Elisha miracles. But he said the Joseph miracle is even greater. Even though you don't see the miraculous as much in the life of Joseph, it's much more like our lives than Elisha. Elisha, you see the miraculous. Joseph, you really don't see it. I mean, there's the interpretation of the dreams, but that's about it. You just see the providential hand of God through the heartbreaking circumstances of life working out God's purposes in and through his life. And J. Vernon McGee says, you know what? That's the greater miracle. And the miracle he's doing in you, and I hope for you an Elisha miracle. I really do. I want to pray for that, and I, I will be praying. When we get the prayer cards, we, we pray for Elisha. God, do it now. But it's just as miraculous, if not more so, when he does the Joseph-style miracle. Number six, if God allows evil to strike you, he promises to sustain you. Isaiah 41, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And number seven, if God allows evil to strike you, he scheduled a day for justice. Acts 17, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. That man's name is Jesus. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And then Hebrews 11, 27 says, By faith he, Moses, 
left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Now, maybe you're here this morning, and again, it's not by accident. You're here because you're in a fog about something. You feel surrounded by the enemy. You feel like you're in a fog. You, you can't see him who is invisible. And it says we persevere when by faith we see him who is invisible. I'll put the picture up there of Florence Chadwick. On the 4th of July, 1952, Florence Chadwick, who was then 34 years of age, set a goal to become the first woman to swim the 26 miles from Catalina Island and the California coastline. As she began this historic journey, she was flanked by small boats that watched for sharks and were prepared to help her if she got hurt or grew tired. Hour after hour, she swam, and after about 15 hours, a thick, heavy fog set in, and she couldn't see her destination. She got, you know, she, she wasn't all that tired, but she gave up. As Florence sat in the boat, she realized that she had stopped swimming less than one mile from the California shoreline. She later explained that she quit because she could no longer see the coastline. There was too much fog. Florence couldn't see her goal. Now, you're in the fog about something this morning. I'm in the fog about something. And we just can't see it. But you're here, not by accident. God gave a divine appointment for you to be here to hear him say, I am here even though I am invisible. And if you persevere through this thing because you believe in him who is invisible even though you can't see him, you believe there's more than meets the eye in this situation. He says, I'll bring you through out the other side, fulfilling my purpose in and through your life. Three final examples. They're not video clips. They're other examples of uh, there's more than meets the eye. Let's put the first one up there. Uh, Let me just ask you a question real quick. Uh, How many of you see the older lady walking away from the tree? How many see that one? How many see the face? How many can see the face? Okay. If you don't see the older lady, she's just walking away from the tree. If you don't see the face, her dark coat is the nose of the face with the eyes there. Uh, Let's pop another one up there. How many of you see the pillars? How many of you can see the pillars? How many of you can see the people standing in between the pillars there? There's more than meets the eye. Uh, This one's been around forever. Um, The old lady and the younger lady, you've seen this a lot. How many of you can see the older lady? How many of you, her chin goes out into the dark there, you know, like a sharp chin. Uh, How many of you can see the younger lady? How many see the, and she has like the feather coming like out, out of her, um, out of her, uh, her head. Actually, there's nothing up there, but we did a trick here, too. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we, we let about 100 people in on it and said, just raise your hand. And everybody goes, wah, wah. There's more than meets the eye. And that's the way it is in life. Um, we follow him who is invisible. And that's why I've been challenging you, you today to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. On the back of your bulletin, back of your program, you, you'll see the Three simple steps, as simple as A, B, and C. And there's a suggested prayer. And right here today, this can be your day, April 28th, 2013, to receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And then to show that publicly by being baptized. And you say, oh, Glenn, you know, we had lunch plans or, or I mean, you know, well, I'm not going to say the Lakers play later and who cares anyway at this point, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, just uh, spare you from that, you know. But, uh, but at, at any rate, you know, let's put that verse back up there. 
Acts 22, verse 16. And now what are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptized. Wash your sins away, calling on his name. Head home. Get a change of clothes. Stick around. Go home wet. Okay? That's what the people that heard. That's what Paul, when he heard this, that's what Ananias said this to Paul. That's what he did. He went home wet. Um, Today's the day. Which are you? What you see is what you get. Are you the kind of person that believes there's more in life than meets the eyes? And you show that publicly through baptism to say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's stand for the benediction. And uh, I'm going to do it the old-fashioned way, the way my Presbyterian pastor, Kennedy Smart, used to do it at West End Presbyterian in Hopewell, Virginia. Because I don't want to end up here at the front. I'm going to end up at the fountain out by the Fair Trade Bazaar. Or I hope you'll join me out there as well. And if you're a visitor, please come out and come out and say hi. But we're going to do our theme uh, verse that we've been doing uh, for uh, the benedictions for this series. It's Ephesians 3, verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's family said, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.